Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Okay, so we are rethinking religion today. <laughs> How are you doing? Good. Hey, uh, before we uh, get into it, by the way, if you missed this ser- last week, uh, I, I think was really one of uh, the best messages ever spoken here at Timberlake Church, uh, Rick Enlow, who's a big friend of our, but he did an incredible job particularly. If you missed last week, encourage you to go online and to listen to that. But before I get into the message part, I uh, want to talk a little bit of church business, what's going on uh, here at Timberlake Church. Last weekend, I was out at our Bothell campus. Actually, they had a pretty good crowd there that uh, last weekend, and and um, as I was out there, part of it is I was making an announcement there, the same announcement that I'm making this weekend. Uh, and it really, let me give you a little bit of uh, context. We're uh, one church right now in five different locations, uh, and uh, we have had uh, other locations that are not part of our church now. They're still churches. Our very first campus was uh, over in Seattle, uh, Ballard, and we uh, took over a little church of about 30 or 40 people, grew it about 100 people. And then after a period of time, uh, we, we thought that it would be best served that we would stay relationally connected, but that would uh, be its uh, own, own church, although related to us, but its own church with its own leadership. And uh, it grew to about 400 people and really one of the bright spots in the city of Seattle. And we have uh, determined the same thing with our Bothell campus. It's, it's been a short enough period of time, about a year and a half with us, and uh, that after talking with the leadership there, the campus pastors, uh, Jared and Angie Hughes, and as we've uh, came to sort of a transition point, that uh, it would be its uh, own church. And if someone asked me this, are, do, are we a church that does campuses or church planting? And my answer is yes. Uh, now, that's very rare. Most churches do one or the other. We've, we've uh, wholly launched, sent out groups. This, this time we're sending out a group of 125 people. Uh, and uh, we want to launch life-giving churches and life-giving campuses Uh, that raise the spiritual temperature, particularly here in uh, the Seattle and the east side region. And uh, we have uh, the, were the campus pastors, now the lead pastors, Jared and Angie Hughes, are you here somewhere? Right back there? Okay, yeah. Can we give them a hand? Now, now uh, people ask, what's the new church going to be named? Uh, we're still working. People are throwing out names. Uh, I, I, throw, I, th- I throw out one. They didn't like it very much. I thought it should be the Ben Sigmund Memorial Church. Uh, but uh, they, for some reason, uh, have decided to go in a different direction. <laughs> now, it's funny. At the same time, uh, because we are so committed to making a difference, uh, November 5th, 
we have a meeting in Snoqualmie as we develop our launch team for our Snoqualmie campus. Uh, we've had a, a great group of people. Uh, people say, how many campuses? Five, down to four, back up to five again here uh, probably a month or two later. And so uh, if you're from that area, encourage you to maybe pray about being part of uh, that campus as we seek to make a difference uh, in our region. Well, b- back to the message, and one of the things, I made a rookie mistake. I've been a pastor uh, for a long time now, so about 27 years, and I made a rookie mistake, and it had to do uh, with uh, really uh, the naming of my sermon. Uh, yeah, is because th- this, this passage of scripture I'm looking at, I thought it was well-named, and, and it was uh, looking at self-sabotaging behaviors. Now, here's a rookie mistake. Whenever, you, whenever you're working on a message, you usually experience that that week. And so, uh, I, I've got to tell you, and, and I don't want to sound boastful, uh, but I, I just have to be honest with you. As I prepared this message, uh, worked on it, the outline, uh, really developed it, and I'm thinking this is going to be an incredible message. This is gonna, so I wrote this incredible message for you to hear. The problem is, is you're not going to hear this message. The reason is, is I saved over that message. Yeah, the tech guys couldn't save it. God was working, but somehow he didn't want to perform a resurrection miracle. Uh, And so, uh, I don't know if this message is going to be very good, but the good news, it won't be very long either. (laughs) So, uh, well, uh, as as we look at uh, self-sabotage, how do you know uh, if you're self-sabotaging? Well, think about this. Maybe if you talk yourself out of applying for a job, because you already know why they're gonna turn you down. That's self-sabotaging behavior. You break off relationship after relationship because you figure they're getting too close or they're going to break it off with you. You uh, start drinking again even though you know alcohol has been a problem for you in the past, but you think it's gonna be different this time. Or maybe you go on a diet, anyone do this? You go on a diet, you lose five pounds, and you celebrate by eating what? (laughs) Ice cream, right? Yeah, ice cream. Well, I I gotta tell you, if that's you, uh, here's some good news. Uh, It's a product that uh, many of us love, uh, that recognizes the struggle, and that maybe some of you have had Have any of you had, this is the craze of this summer, have any of you had Halo Top ice cream? Yeah, you haven't, okay, so Halo Top ice cream is a little bit different. I admit it, it's not that dense, it's a little bit uh, airy. Uh, It's uh, a good ice cream, and uh, this is my favorite one, it's birthday cake. And the great thing, my wife likes Ben and Jerry's, and Ben and Jerry's is a good uh, ice cream. But Ben and Jerry's is the most dishonest ice cream ever. You're saying why? It comes in this size container. 
And uh, it says, and you'll read it, and it'll say, okay, yeah, it's like 260 calories. And then it says, per serving. And then it says there's four servings in one of these. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. I'm not trying. Uh, why don't you take this to your family and say, here's dessert. Uh, but this one, Halo Top, it says 280 calories for the container. Do you know why? Because it knows you're going to eat the whole thing. That's why. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, it's really amazing ice cream. <laughs> so, as I was saying, <laughs> no, I'm not going to eat the rest of this. I will, but not right now. <laughs> uh, so, the, the funny thing is, when it comes to our struggles, and I'm having a little bit of fun, is uh, we tell ourselves stories about reality, and those stories are meant to protect us. But oftentimes, those stories can be a pattern of of thinking and then of acting that leads into a, a life where we take what God has for us, the best things, and we self-sabotage. My, my dad was a, a serial entrepreneur. Uh, he, he, did, he was very good at starting businesses. But uh, one of the things he said, he said, you know, I can handle failure I just can't handle success that well. And it's true that he would, he would do things that would sabotage his own behavior or his own success. In Galatians chapter five, we get to uh, a place, and we're gonna roll in uh, three and four a little bit as it really is talking about some of the same themes we talked about in chapters one and two. There, there's a warning that's given to people who have found freedom in Christ, people who found a new life in Jesus. God is starting to change their life. They're getting spiritual momentum. They're moving forward. And yet, something happens along the way. And I've seen this happen time and time again. I've seen this happen where, where you know, you're, you're on the right path, things are going well, and then all of a sudden, there's some decisions we make that get in the way of that. Galatians 5.1, it says this. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And we find out uh, exactly what that means uh, as the Apostle Paul sort of lays that out later in chapter 5. People were losing ground, and it wasn't just what was happening to them. It was the choices they were making. And we think about that. Where do these self-defeating choices come from? One is external influences. This is what we've been talking about the last couple weeks, if you missed about it, especially particularly this, this rules-based religion instead of a relationship with God and thinking that that'll somehow work out. And people had that tendency to want to go back to that. We read in Galatians 5, 7, and 8, it says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. 
Now, uh, we've been talking primarily about that legalistic kind of faith. But on the other end, and this is what the Apostle Paul gets to, is this, there's this sort of what's called this libertine kind of faith. This sort of what I do doesn't matter. And it, there's, there's some truth in the fact that what I do, my behavior does not determine my eternal destiny. It's my faith in God. But my behavior will definitely determine the quality of my life now and how I live out that faith and how I honor God and how I experience Him. And that's what we're really looking at today. And that's number two is internal impulses. We read in Galatians 5.13, it says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Now, that's not a term we, we use much anymore. And maybe, you know, if you grew up in a very traditional religious environment, that, you know, the flesh, what does it mean, the, the flesh? Well, it's not talking about your skin. It's talking about what, those desires that... Uh, really aren't good. You ever think about self-control? The reason that we talk about self-control is that there's some, some things about ourselves, some desires that are not meant to uh, really be given into, but to control. And so he lays it out here. And this is uh, one of these passages uh, that I think is one uh, a great warning, but also in some ways sort of funny in a sense, because he, he lays out everything there. He goes, the acts of the flesh are obvious. He goes, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. I don't know. You know, funny thing is, I can't define debauchery, but I think I know what it looks like. <laughs> That's because I was in a fraternity in college. So, <laughs> uh, idolatry, that, that's really where anything else takes the place of God witchcraft, hatred, and that is sort of funny. On this first part, some of us are saying, okay, I don't do that. Hatred, okay. Discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and then I love this part because it's just like, just in case you can't find yourself on this messed up list and you're doing something that's so weird that it doesn't even make it on this list, the Apostle Paul adds, and the like, <laughs> and things like that. You know, as we look at that, these aren't things that we want to do. I don't believe that most of us want to do. These are things that we end up doing at some level. See, freedom doesn't mean there isn't any boundaries, and that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to get across. It's like how you might view offense. Sometimes offense can be viewed as keeping you out, but sometimes it can be viewed as keeping you safe. God says, uh, I want you to have faith. I want you to be free to experience life at its best, but that doesn't mean that everything is a good idea. The Apostle Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, uh, 23 says this, and this is in the Bible, but not in your outline. He says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. And we know that to be true, 
And we know we have this propensity is when we get a, a, a hold of this idea of freedom and grace. And for some of you, you were raised in a, in a very rules-based religion. Uh, and for you, finding this freedom and grace has changed your life. But Paul is saying, don't, don't trade that for another kind of what he calls slavery, where all of a sudden we give in to the worst parts of our nature. And, and we've seen this happen again and again, not only in other people, probably in our own lives as well. Uh, I, I remember after I became a Christ follower, a few years later, uh, I started to have uh, some struggles. Uh, you know, struggle, the most obvious one was alcohol, but it was other things that came along with it. And, and I just couldn't believe why at this point am I having these problems? And it's because we're not in heaven yet, is that we all have this tendency to walk away from that power of grace that transforms. And so as I've had hundreds of conversations, my prayer is that you would not only fall deeply in love with God through Jesus, but that you would avoid some of these pitfalls. And I, and I want to, I put it in this way, the self-sabotage and how to avoid it, sort of the lesser and the greater behavior. Um, so how do we avoid that? Well, the lesser behavior is self-deceit, where we're sort of fooling ourselves, and the greater one is self-awareness. Uh, now, sometimes it's not even self-deceit. It's just that we're simply uh, unaware, and that can lead us into self-sabotage. I mean, um, not, not on a, uh, a great level. My, my wife was traveling for work in Texas, and uh, she was just sort of unaware of what was going on uh, around it. She was uh, working with this team, and it was her first time sort of leading, leading uh, this team, at least there in that, in that place. And it, they'd had a great day of work, and they were all going out to dinner, and she had to choose where they were going to go to dinner. Well, she, we don't go to Texas much, so she didn't know. So she just picked a restaurant and uh, she, she picked a restaurant uh, because its name reminded her of a show uh, that was set back in Roslyn, Washington a number of years ago. You might remember that show. It was called Twin Peaks. Well, this restaurant wasn't named after the show Twin Peaks. It was not named after Two Mountains. It was named, for some of you who don't get it yet, <laughs> uh, it was basically a Hooters is what it was. And uh, she uh, was so embarrassed and uh, as she made that mistake. And I've got to tell you, I just thank God that that was her mistake and not my mistake. Because <laughs> it's a little easier explaining from her end than mine. Well, as we're talking about being self self-aware and not going into self-deceit is understanding what God says about us and how we've responded to that in our life. There's, for some of us, when we, when we maybe struggle in an area, and maybe it's an area of addiction, maybe it's an area of just that anger that's there all the time. Maybe it's one of those 
secret sins that no one is ever going to probably know about or you hope no one ever knows about. We, we can deceive ourselves in the worst thing that could happen is that I would be honest with God or honest with another person. And, and the interesting thing is we believe that and you will hear people say this, uh, well, that's what religion is about, so I don't want anyone to know. What we see in the scripture, especially in the book of Galatians, but even in, in the Psalms that I'm gonna read from, that there's something when we come to God with the worst part of our heart, the worst decisions we make, and we stop hiding, and we stop running, and God does his work of restoration. King David says this, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what happened? Did he zap him? Did he say, I'm done with you? Now, now think about, for, for King David, if you're not familiar with his story, he had great successes, but man, this guy self-sabotaged. He, uh, he had some anger issues. He was a pretty big sex addict, and that led him into all sorts of other things. But look at how God, and he says, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. I know that there are some of us, and you're carrying things that you don't need to. That if, if you would just be honest with God in, in, in this moment and say, Lord, you already know this. And maybe for you, it's like, hey, I don't even know why I go down this road time and time again. But God, I know you do. And I think that that is your 50% of the way to God doing a miracle in your life. See, oftentimes it's, you know, how does God view us? Is he the angry judge? Galatians 3, 6 says, in Christ Jesus, you are children of God through faith. And then uh, this self-sabotaging behavior, this is sort of how we deal with other people when it comes to maybe those areas of struggle is there's alternate facts or there's clear truth. We have these, this, this story that we tell versus the story of who we are. Now, in the book of Galatians, uh, the Apostle Paul is primarily talking about those who would run towards a legalistic faith. He's saying you are running a good race. Who cut, cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? And then later he said, or earlier actually, he says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Another self-sabotaging behavior, and this one is not, a, the, the, the first two were, you probably could figure those two out, is self-sabotage is I win versus we win. Now, I'm not one of these people who, who believes that all competition is bad. In fact, uh, when we were taking uh, tests on, you know, what are strength finders tests, if you've ever taken that. Any of you ever taken a strength finder test? Yeah, my number one, I don't know if it's a strength, but my number one is competition. And my whole thing, well, oh, do you, do you always have to win? I don't have to win, but I want to win. That's why literally, I, I'm not kidding, my wife and I stopped having games nights at our house 
because the inevitable, every time we had a games night, we knew that at least one to two families would leave the church afterwards. And I, I, I don't know if it was a fierce competition or the gloating afterwards, but the result was pretty much the same every time. But so I believe in competition, um, but there's this we win. This is sort of where there's this generational divide. I was actually asked, I'm going to be speaking at uh, uh, this conference in February, and it's about uh, millennials and how you know, millennials are different uh, than, than other people. I was invited to speak on that topic. I don't necessarily know why, except there's a lot of millennials on our team and our staff. Uh, if you're not sure if you're a millennial, uh, Neil Howe and William Strauss came up with the term millennials, and they describe it as uh, people born between 1982 and 2002. So if you're between 15 and 35 years old, uh, you're essentially a millennial. And uh, the truth is, is that millennials are, can be a little bit different than the rest of us. Are any millennials here tonight? Go ahead and raise your hand. Okay, yeah, there's a, there's a number of you. Um, there was a New York Post article, this is from three days ago, and it's just basically how millennials have changed the funeral industry. The article says this, can't make it to grandma's funeral? You can watch it from your laptop. More and more, uh, isn't that great? Isn't that special? <laughs> funeral homes are live streaming their uh, last rites while many adults find the prospect of watching a funeral online uh, off-putting, if not creepy. Millennials are flocking to the idea. A survey conducted by Royal London and featured on Refinery 292 found that about 40% of adults between 18 and 34 would have no problem attending a ceremony uh, virtually. And we all know that millennials are like 25% less likely to have a driver's license than previous generations. Uh, but the number one thing that non-millennials say about millennials is uh, they're known as the trophy generation. And uh, you, you know that, too. So the idea uh, that, that people would get a trophy, not if they won or got first or second place, but just if they participated. And so they call them the trophy generation. The funny thing is, do you know who created the trophy generation? Boomers and Xers. Yeah, they didn't buy their own trophies. We're the, we're the ones who did it. And it's, it's sort of, but the idea with millennials, and this is not true for all, but that it's not just good enough for me to win. There has to be a team win. And that is not a generational thing. That's a biblical thing. The Bible says, so, so millennials, you just say this is where we totally got it right. <laughs> it says, for the entire law is filled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. One of the most counterintuitive realities about self-sabotage is the more I focus on me, the less I enjoy life. I saw it, we've, I see it with our missions teams. You know, we had, uh, one of the things we've talked about is we'll have people go around and, and uh, go in different projects, Mexico, India, Houston, and uh, now a team going to Puerto Rico to help there, obviously, with the devastation that'll be coming up. Uh, you'll hear more about that. And uh, we've had so far over 300 adults have gone so far just this year alone on one of those uh, opportunities. And the interesting thing is very few people talk about what they did and how they helped those people. 
what people are always talking about is, this is how God changed me. When I got out of sight of myself and what I wanted, I talked to one family they went, and a family who could literally vacation anywhere they want to in the world, no limits. And they said, when they went on this trip to, to serve a family, they said it was the best, and they said, vacation of our lives. See, the more I focus on me, my world becomes really, really small. And I'll start to, everything will become about me and I'll, I'll start getting into all these weird behaviors. You think about the behaviors that were listed earlier on. Those really come from a, this, this, this myopic thinking that I'm the center of the universe. Where if we have this idea of, no, there's a bigger win out there. There's a bigger win, and when I'm part of that, and that's called God's plan, I find my purpose. I find my hope. And by the way, when things start to go wrong in your life, it's not going to be as big a deal to you. If you're the center of your, your own universe, and I, don't, I truly, I do not say this to offend you, I'm just telling you I've been doing this way too long and talked to too many people, probably thousands at this point. The more you're the center of your own universe the more every problem will become a major crisis. Most many times blown out of proportion. I, when I find that people are operating, they're operating according uh, to God's plan in community and they're, they're living for God's purposes. You see people are going through some terrible things. Talk to people who, diseases, cancer and Parkinson's. I mean, these are real deal problems and some of us say, well, my problem's not that bad. But let me tell you, there's this, there's this incredible hope there and peace there because there's an understanding is I'm part of a bigger story. And, and when you read the Bible, you know the great thing is, you read it, go, go to the end of the book, we win, good story, you know? And that God, even though I may not seem to be winning right now in my life, that I'm part of God's bigger plan. See, here, here's the truth. I, I've talked to too many people who have won and lost. You won the argument, but you lost the relationship. You won your rights in the marriage, but you, you lost the marriage. Or maybe you're still together, but you know it's just broken and and the big win is the we win self-sabotage always starts with selfishness the apostle paul says this uh galatians 2 20 he says i've been crucified with christ i no longer live but christ lives in me the life i live in the body i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself up for me the reality and the whole point of uh, Galatians that, again, is sort of counterintuitive, it's the self-sabotaging behavior is try harder, but the life-giving behavior is follow closer. Oftentimes we think of uh, religion, or people will, a caricature, is that it's a sin avoidance program. If I can avoid enough of those bad things that I talked about earlier, then somehow I'm going to be happier and more whole. But 
The, the scripture does, it talks about a life that's pleasing to God and holiness, and, and, and that's true, but, but it comes from a different place. Look at what it says in Galatians 5.16. It says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And, and oftentimes we put the emphasis in the wrong place on that sentence. So, so don't do these bad things to gratify the the sinful desires. But the emphasis in that, in that sentence is to walk by the Spirit. It means follow closer. See, when my focus is on following God, getting closer to Him, then it, it not only changes what I do, it changes what I want to do. And that's where real transformation takes place. See, Self-sabotage is about fatalistic assumptions. And life-giving faith is about pervasive hope. That's where we listen not to the Holy Spirit, fatalistic assumptions, but that little voice uh, in our head. It's sort of like an old cartoon. I'll get to find out how many people are like old like me. How many of you remember, it was maybe the worst cartoon ever, Gulliver's Travels. Any of you remember that? Yeah, Gullah. I mean, it was like the cartoon quality was totally horrible. And it was about whenever they'd go on an adventure, whenever they would have an obstacle that they were going to overcome, there was always uh, this guy here, and his name was, you remember his name? Glum. And Glum would always say, we'll never make it. And it was, it's sort of, we have that voice in our heads sometimes. Who are you fooling? Uh, secular psychologists call this the imposter syndrome. That we feel like we're an imposter. The, the Bible says that's not true at all. If, you, if you've come to Jesus, if you know him, you're transformed. Remember that passage I just read, Galatians 2.20. In fact, this time will come up on the screen. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And because of that, there's a pervasive hope. I had uh, the opportunity, I was at a conference, and uh, as I was uh, there I uh, met a lady, uh, and she came, and she, uh, yeah, there she is. She came and uh, gave me uh, a hug. I used to pastor a church about six miles uh, north of the Mexican border. And so most of our church uh, was uh, people from Mexico or the Philippines or uh, something like that. And by the way, you all know that I'm, I'm not a hugger. Well, I got to tell you, those people they made me into a hugger. And that's why I moved back up to the Northwest so I wouldn't have to hug people again. So the, uh, but uh, yeah, when, you're, when your church is mostly people from Mexico, you get hugged against your will is what happens. So the, uh, she, she came up and uh, she reminded me and she said, do you remember when you led my husband uh, to Christ? And I said, oh gosh, I totally remember. And he was, he, he was going through some struggles, and uh, he had made some bad decisions, and uh, 
he was facing the consequences. And one of those consequences was, had to do with his immigration status, is that he'd be, he'd, he wouldn't be able to be in this country any longer and he wouldn't be, uh, couldn't come back into the country. And I remember that conversation and saying, uh, you know, I know that's tough. But the, in the midst of this, your biggest decision is, what are you going to do with Jesus? And we talked and we prayed and he said, you know, no matter what happens, uh, I want to give my life fully to Jesus Christ. And uh, that was, oh, 12 or 13 years ago. And she said, I don't know if you've heard, over in the Playas region, real nice region, just south of the border, we've started this church, there's hundreds of people coming, and now uh, her husband is the pastor of that church. And what seemed like really the worst day for their family, God said, I'm going to take that worst day. And that's going to be a legacy, and it's not a legacy of failure. It's going to be a legacy of hope. And there are many people who, in that region, they just had never heard about this life-giving faith. And he's leading hundreds of them into that. So what, what, what's that worst day, that worst behavior, that worst sin that you would trust God with? Don't let that be the end of your story. Because Jesus, when he went to the cross, he went to the cross so that you would be forgiven and free. And my guess is that even tonight, there's some of us who we've thought about that, maybe we've believed it, but we haven't stepped into it. And that's what I invite you to do. Will you pray with me? Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.